Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is happening, gang? Football is upon us, and we are wrapping up our look at the Hall of Fame class of this year and finally taking a look at who might make it next year. And in this week's episode, we make the case for Reggie Wayne. This, to me, in doing the statistical regression this week, is one of the great no-brainers in the history of football. This guy needs to be in the Hall of Fame. It doesn't make any sense. And Bill is going to very eloquently, point by point, make the case about why Reggie needs to be in the Hall of Fame. This is also a fun episode because we get to look at the 2001 draft, which was a really unique draft in the NFL. A lot of receivers going early. Bill Snagan, arguably the best one, at the 30th pick in the draft. Six receiver taken. Steve Smith would get drafted later. But this truly is a fun draft. But before we jump into today's episode, I want to take a minute and talk about one of our favorite sponsors on the pod, Bet Online. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are getting back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all of your college and pro football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including Online's biggest half a million dollar NFL mega event and the world's largest $200,000 NFL survivor contest now open at bet online so what are you waiting for head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100 percent welcome bonus take advantage of their opening day super promo equals make the bet on thursday september 9th for the season opener between the super bowl champion buccaneers and the dallas cowboys and if you lose your wager will be refunded up to 25 dollars for new customers only when signing up using the promo code nfl 100 that's up to $25 using the promo code NFL100. What are you waiting for? Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports actions. Head over to Bet Online today and get going. All right, guys, this is our final look at the Hall of Fame this year. This is making the case for Reggie White. All right, here we go. We are live on the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Polian. The season is upon us. College football is here this weekend. It's actually brisk in the nation's capital. How much better can life get? How are we doing today, guys? Good, thank you. We're doing well, and uh, I'm hoping it continues to get better, Scott. Well, there you have it. All right. Well, we continue and end our Hall of Fame episodes with our final Making the Case episode. And this one focuses on one of the greatest wide receivers to ever play in the NFL, Reginald Wayne, born November 17th, 1978. We got a birthday coming up. He's the former American football wide receiver. He spent 14 seasons with the Indianapolis Colts. He played college football at the U and was drafted by the Colts in the first round 30th overall in the 2001 NFL draft. A six-time Pro Bowl selection, Wayne was a member of the Colts Super Bowl championship team that beat the Chicago Bears. He ranks 10th all-time in NFL career receptions, 10th all-time in NFL uh, receiving yards, 24th all-time in career touchdowns. And on December 14th, 2014, Wayne played in both his 209th game of his career and his 142nd win as a member of the Colts, breaking franchise record set by Peyton Manning. The stat line is unbelievably compelling. Over 14,000 receiving yards, over 1,000 receptions, uh, over 80, 80 touchdowns at 82, and I, I think a largely underrated uh, postseason career as a receiver. So I don't know if you've heard, but apparently former NBA player Lamar Odom may be returning to professional basketball in Spain soon. He's been taking a new product he owes the credit to. It's called Balance 7. Balance 7 is a pH-balancing alkaline supplement drink. It is truly awesome. If you're looking to kind of get the edge on your competition in every way possible, Balance 7 
is a tool you should definitely look at. Whether you're looking to try to balance out your pH levels, whether you're trying to get a little more energy, Balance 7 has you covered. I mean, I think we all saw it as how good Lamar Odom looked in his celebrity boxing match against Aaron Carter. So what are you waiting for? Head over to Balance7.com and use the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for free shipping. Balance7.com and use the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for free shipping. I did it, and if it worked for him, it can work for you too. Uh, Bill, before we get into Reggie, uh, I think whenever we do these Making the Case episodes, we kind of have to set the framework. What in your mindset statistically is that minimum criteria for a Hall of Fame receiver? Well, with receivers, it's, it's going to be a, a, a little bit of a moving target. But let me take you to um, what, what I think the, the landscape looks like today. In years to come, it's going to expand pretty dramatically because of the expansion of the play of the um, passing game. So, and and 17 games is of course going to skew everything. Right. So, um, you know, there, there are they're going to be a different stat milieu in years to come. But you know that that that's the way it works. Uh, that's true of past generations as well. But right now, in terms of of um, uh, receiving yards, the magic number is really 14,000. Um, so you have um, Jerry Rice, Larry Fitzgerald, Terrell Owens, Randy Moss, Isaac Bruce, Tony Gonzalez, Tim Brown, Steve Smith, who I think will be eligible this coming year. He is. And mm-hmm. Reggie Wayne are the top 10 in receiving yards. And the difference between Reggie and, uh, and Steve Smith uh, is, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, between Reggie and Steve Smith is about uh, 300 yards. And the difference between Reggie and Marvin Harrison is 150, 150 yards. So, 14,000 is the magic number. Now, below 14, uh, uh, you know, Andre Johnson, who will, I don't think he's eligible this year, but soon is at 14,185. James Lawson, who's in the hall, is at 14,004. Chris Carter, who's in at 13,899, but he was kind of a controversial selection. Uh, Anquan Bolden, Henry Ellard, and, 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 and Tory Holt are all. 13779 13377 13382 Andre Reed in a different era completely different era uh was 131198 uh, and uh Steve Largent and Jason uh, Jason Witten who will be a I'm sure a you know first ballot guy um were uh a 1389 and 13 046 respectively. So if you're 13,000 or above, you're in the conversation. If you're 14,000 or above, you're probably in. And, and, and then you combine that with yards per average yards per catch and and receptions, and, and that pretty much tells the tale. Um, below, interestingly enough, below 13,000. Julio Jones, by the way, if he's healthy this year, will pass 13,000. Um, Irving Fryer, Art Monk, Brandon Marshall, Jimmy Smith, Charlie Joyner, Heinz Ward, which will be controversial at 12,083. Uh, he's a nominee. Um, Derek Mason, Michael Irvin, who's a special case. He's like Andre. He was in a, another era. Right. Um, Don Maynard in, in, the, in, the, you know, in the era when he was a leading receiver of all time, Calvin Johnson, which was controversial despite the fact that he got in on the first ballot. It's a very short career. His APC and touchdowns were way up there. So that's and that plus his spectacular play in the minds of the voters got him in. Uh, interestingly enough, Calvin's at 11,619. Moussa Muhammad, who no one would even think about as a hall of famer, even though I love him, um, uh, is at 11.438. So that the Calvin Johnson one was a, a bit of an outlier. Uh, Keenan McCardell, Chad Johnson. In, in other words, 
no names below 13,000 yards at this point that anybody would really consider as a legitimate candidate. Right. So, so to that end, Bill, how much does postseason performance impact how a wide receiver or any player for that matter is perceived from the standpoint of making the hall? And I'm kind of thinking about the Julian Edelman case that might come up. Well, with wide receivers, um, it's less important than it is other positions. In, in my experience, you take into consideration the uh, and Holt and, and, and Reggie Wayne were finalists this year and neither made it. I think truthfully they canceled each other out unfairly, but but that's for later on in the show. Um, the the issue uh, with wide receivers is usually what they did over their careers. Witness, uh, actually, I, I think Megatron was helped by the fact that his team was so lousy. Yeah, right. You, you know, they're, they're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers of the modern era, if you will. And 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 so because they were so bad, and he was so good, it, it sort of set him outside the, the, the milieu of, of, of what the Lions were, which was lousy, except for the two years Jim Caldwell was at the helm. Uh, and Megatron was gone by then. I think, yeah, I think he was gone by then. Um, so that was, uh, again, an anomaly in a lot, in a lot of ways. Um, but the playoff picture um, for other positions, uh, you know, particularly quarterbacks, and obviously coaches um, is, is critical and, and especially Super Bowls, you know, but Bill, but Bill, most other positions, I mean, how much can any one guy guarantee that his team is even going to ever get to a super, I mean, is it, is that fair? I mean, if, if take, take Megatron or others who were just on lousy teams, but they were wonderful, wonderful players. Well, it's not fair, but it is what it is. Uh, Rick Goslin uh, wrote uh, not too long ago in an article that I, that I I like Rick a lot. We just disagree a lot, but <laughs> he, he was trying to prove that Robert Mathis, who's eligible this year, was was a better player than Dwight Freeney. Uh, that's not necessarily true. Yeah, uh, you're asking me to choose between sons, so that's harder to do. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, it's it's not necessarily true, and. And his, and his point during it, he said, you know, there's no point in talking about people uh, unless they're head and shoulders above everybody else who doesn't have a ring. And that, that's the way a lot of the writers think. That's that's the validation. If you don't have a ring, you're suspect. Right. And, and, and by the way, if you don't have a winning ring, you're suspect. So. For example, Marty Schottenheimer, and, and when you when you rank coaches all time, Marty Schottenheimer is so far ahead of Dick Vermeil in in, rec, in all time record, it's not even close. But Marty doesn't get a look because his teams did not do well in the playoffs, and 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 they and they never made a Super Bowl. I mean, to to that point. That could be the case for why a Heinz Ward or if an Edelman gets into the conversation that maybe they get pushed above players that have better statistical careers, you think? Well, Edelman is going to get credit for the Patriots. And and in truth, he should because they won so, so often and they won without – when he was there, they won without Spygate. So there's, there's, no, there's no taint of Spygate that – which, by the way, was real and important and, 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 and had a major impact uh, competitively. Uh, there's no taint of that. It's, it's after that. So the fact that he performed so well for the amount of time that he played and did so well in the playoffs is, is going to count for him, and I, I probably wouldn't argue against it. It, it does the um... – Interaction with the press and the reputation of the guy, and if he's perceived as, you know, a sort of a bust-ass guy the way Jules was, and good with the press and affable, does that play into it too? I think it helps, but um, but I was shocked, uh, you know, when uh, Philadelphia's guy got in, 
because he was not only, you know, I guess he was a good story, but he was disruptive. I mean, there's no two ways about that and, and proved that uh, Terrell Owens had proved it uh, in, in his, you know, and how he accepted his, his, his induction, uh, his election. Um, so I, I would have thought if you asked most football people and Andy Reid went to bat for him, which I think is, was tremendous on Andy's part. And, and, you know, Andy's a wonderful person. Um, but if you ask most football people, they would have said no. Not, not, A.J. Smith, the former general manager of both the Chargers and the, and, and the Washington football team when they were the Redskins, famously said, um, I thought you had to help your team to get in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> Good line. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. But he got in. The point is he got in. Yeah. Now, maybe because he was a good story. I, I, I don't know. It certainly helps if you have good relations with, with the yeah. with maybe the, they maybe they were thinking it would be ratings for the broadcast until he decided to do it from home and then not show up. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, talking about making your team better, as from from a draft geek perspective. I love the 2001 draft. It's a fun draft, a lot of different players. Just to set the stage, in 2000, you guys finished second in the division, lost your first round of the playoffs. So before we get into Reggie, headed into that 2001 draft, what were the dynamics going into the draft? Did you think you would move down? And how did the trade with the Giants come together? Uh, no, we did not think we would move down. We were focused on a corner. and We felt we needed a, a, a you know, a number one corner, if you will. Don't forget, we weren't playing Tampa 2 at the time. We weren't playing Dungy defense. We, we were playing, uh, you know, what Vic Fangio plays now, matchup, essentially matchup zone blitz defense. And um, we needed a, a quality corner. Now, Vic did not like rookie corners, generally speaking. He wanted veterans. But, you know, he was willing to, take a look at, at what was there, but we couldn't get any consensus. The scouts like one player, which Vic didn't like at all. Um, he liked another player, which none of the scouts liked. Right. And, and we were in a, in a situation where, you know, if you don't have consensus or anything or something close to consensus, if you can't forge it um, and there's no overwhelming reason to make a pick that the coaches don't want. Um, sometimes you have to do it for the good of the franchise, but but you shouldn't unless there's an overwhelming reason to, to do it. So I wasn't going to step in and bang the table and say, we have to take this guy. Um, we couldn't find consensus. So two days before the draft, I mean, we had a really, really tough meeting. It was knockdown drag out. And everybody left the room mad, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which will happen. Yeah. <laughs> Even you? So, uh, not, no, not terribly, not terribly. Uh, you know, I was in my, in my run the room mood. So mode. So I was, you know, I was, I was mad that we couldn't reach consensus, but not mad at anybody for being, uh, you know, stating their case. Um, so the next day, Coach Mora came in and said, ah, that was a lousy meeting. That, that, that's my fault. If you want to take the corner, go ahead and take it. And I said, no, no, we're not going to take him. Let's look and see if we can trade down. So, um, and, and we talked about it, and it was a really civil conversation, you know, a nice conversation. I said, no, if, if, if the coaching staff doesn't feel, and, and especially Vic doesn't feel that the guy fills the bill, then I'm fine with that. We're not going to, you know. We're not going to force a pick that that it starts off on the wrong foot to begin with, and isn't and and we we would be wrong to do it. We'd hurt the kid. So um, so let's 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 see if there's somebody else we can like, and if not, and and, and probably very probably we'll try and trade down. So the the we knew the Giants were in the market for a corner, and so um, 
I called Ernie Acorsi and, and said, you know, if you're interested in coming up, we would be interested in going down. There's no, and I, and I, and I you know, I, I made it clear to him. I said, there's no corner we like there. So, you know, the, the coast is kind of clear for you if that's what you want. So he said, okay, let me get back to you. So, um, I, you know, I told Dominelli and Coach Mora and Chris and Tommy Telesco, you know, the people that were involved in the decision making, we got a chance to go down. So let, let's go look at, at who's on the board. So um, we did. And the next guy we liked was Reggie Wayne. And we liked him a lot. Santana Moss was the biggest name at the U that year. He was the guru's favorite. But we did not like him at all. And I think he was drafted ahead of Reggie, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was. He went 16 to the Jets. Yeah. And and, the, and and a player we don't speak of here in D.C. anymore went 15, Rod Gardner. There you go. Yeah. So we, we, we weren't crazy about Santana because he was, you know, small. And we loved Reggie because he had great separation ability, great hands, great size, you know, really good toughness. And he ran four, five, one, which for us was kind of, yeah, you know, so, but Don and I both said, you know, we love the guy. He's got every, he separates and he catches and he's tough. What more do you want? You know, we got Marvin on the other side. So, Let's if we're drafting 30th or 31st, let's let's, you know, take the best player who's there. And it's it's Reggie Wayne. So um, the trade didn't get made until we were on the clock. Actually, it finally got made. And um, and then uh, I was finishing up the paperwork and explaining it to Mr. Ursay. And a couple of picks went boom, boom, boom. It went fast. And, and I, I was in a, an anteroom outside the draft room because as, as you re, as our listeners who listen regularly will remember, Mr. Ursay often had guests in the draft room. So we didn't want to have those kinds of discussions in front of, uh, in front of outsiders. So I was in an anteroom and, and Dom came in and said, our, we're on the clock. And I said, oh, okay. Reggie Wayne, <laughs> right? Yeah, Reggie Wayne. <laughs> okay, put it in. Okay, right, right. <laughs> so I went out and said to Jim Moore, are you okay with Reggie Wayne? He said, yeah, yeah, you guys like him. And so we, we we put the pick in. And then, of course, the hue and cry went up from our friends in the media. Oh, Why yeah. are they taking what? a receiver? They right. don't need a receiver. They already got Marvin Harrison. What is this about? Who is Reggie Wayne? Right. Another guy from Miami. We don't know Reggie Wayne. Yeah. Okay. Good. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. Because that's the criteria. Bill, take. Um. You know, our 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 listeners love when you sort of really take them inside process. Just as a case in point, um, when you were discussing the corner, sort of either specifically or generically, when you get those kind of disagreements between, say, the scouts and the coaches, and everybody's looking. You know, they're all pros, all of whom you like. They're looking at the same film. They're seeing the same stats. What is it that, you know, some guys look at something and see it one way and the others, is it from a scout versus coach? You know, how does that come about? Well, generally scouts look more at the measurables, not, not in their entirety, but more at the measurables than they do technique, assuming that technique can be coached. The coaches look more at technique and production, uh, but particularly technique, than than they do the measurables. They assume that if they're talk, we're talking about the guy that he has the measurables. So that's where the divide kind of exists, and the coaches quite correctly look at the player and say, "Can he do what we want him to do?" The scouts look at him and say, well, he's very functional in the college offense or defense. It's, it's easier to, by the way, to scout defense, offensive players than it is defensive players. But he, 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 he does fine there. We'll assume that, that he'll do fine. 
at, at our level. And in the case of corners in a complex system, which Nick is, uh, not that there's anything wrong with it. As you know, he's had great defenses wherever he's been. Um, the, the, they have to do a lot of thinking and a lot of adjusting. They got to be, they got to be, their, their focus and, and their processing has to be fast. Uh, they have to almost be super quick twitch, but super quick twitch mentally, not, not so much as much mentally as physically. So that's what the coaches see. And it, and it, there's a, a, a frequent, there's a frequent divide. I remember another linebacker, Ohio state linebacker who had a nice career in the league who the coaches loved, you know, big banger, tough guy, knock people back. And by the way, the coaches, when they get to their hotel room on Saturday, or they get home on Saturday and turn the game on are seeing snippets of him during the regular season and listening to the noise, you know, that it, it comes in, it, it, whether you like it or not, it's in there. It's a psychological phenomenon. It's, it, it's lodged in your brain. And, uh, and, and so they were, they were all hepped up about it. And, and the scouts said, no, not fast enough. And we, as a management team said, no, not fast enough. And at that time we were playing Tampa too. And Tony agreed. He said, no, he's a good player for somebody else, but not for us. So, that's the process. The scouts, just from a natural human standpoint, when they feel like they've discovered a guy, do they sort of get emotionally wed to him a little bit and try and, you know, and feel they need to be his, his champion? Some do. Um, I try to, I try to get that out of them. I try to coach that out of them. Um, and, and one of the first things that I, that I would say to new scouts or, the new scouting assistants when we brought them in, Kevin Rogers and John Shaw, who are now, you know, with the Colts and in executive positions are, are two from examples of guys that came in as scouting assistants right out of college. Um, you know, don't, don't, tell me, don't tell me I like this guy. Tell me I like this guy because. And the because is important because it's going to make you go away from whatever you feel emotionally and concentrate on that checklist of things we have on the scouting report. Right. So now the guys fall in love. Sure. They do. Absolutely. They do. And everybody jokes about it. And I'm as guilty as anybody, you know, Bob Sanders. I think, I think we know them. Right. <laughs> oh, the Bob Sanders polian actually worked out pretty well. Yeah. And it's a, and it's an everlasting love. It's not just a, yeah, it's not summer love. It's, it's full go. It's Robert. It's Robert Knight. Everlasting love. You don't remember. There, there is. There is a lot. There is a lot of that. I've told this story before, but it's apropos here. When Tom Telesco, um, and when Tom retired, Tom and Neely retired, and Tom Telesco replaced him, he was beginning the uh, the, the March meetings after the combine, and I said, "What time are you, you going to start tomorrow?" And he said, uh, "Eight o'clock." I said, "Okay, uh, I'll pop in. I want to hear the you know the first five or six guys and." So he said, okay. And then about three minutes later, he came back and said, listen, um, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'd rather you weren't in the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I said, why? <laughs> I was stunned. <laughs> and, and he said, well, you know, the, the scouts know that you've seen a lot of guys. They know that you're out there. And they'll watch your body language. They'll watch your note-taking. If they think you like a guy that, you know, it might skew some of their thinking. So right. I said, okay, I get it. I get it. <laughs> it's definitely affected some of us on the podcast. You, you can, you can lock me out. Yeah. All right. I do have to, uh, to say one thing though, and we're all big Tom Telesco fans, but I don't think anybody replaces Dom bill. He took the job, but he can't replace Dom. Well, Dom was, Dom was one of a kind. He was, he was the Danny DeVito of football. He was. as good a comedian as he, as he was. A, uh, exactly. Yeah. Yep. yep. So, hey, Bill, before we jump into Reggie, one more hypothetical about this draft. So you had six receivers taken in the first round, Reggie being the sixth. 
what would have happened? What or would you have still gone receiver? You think if Reggie had say gone where Freddie Mitchell went at 25 to the Eagles, because later in that draft, you had, you know, guys like Ocho Cinco, you had you know, Chris Chambers, and then obviously Steve Smith goes 74th in that draft. You think you still would have gone receiver? No, uh, we, we didn't have any interest in Ocho Cinco, uh, nor, nor the other guy. And Smith was too far down the, the, the pecking order for us to even give, consideration at that point uh we didn't need a receiver it's just that reggie was the best player you know we always say take the best player let the board talk to you that's an anilism that, that, that that's number one let the board talk to you on draft day right and so uh the the you know the board talked to us and said reggie wayne that's the right kick and uh you know had he not been available we would have taken whoever was the next best pick right all right. So what were some of your first impressions of Reggie as a young man? What were some of the team's perceptions of Reggie early on? But what, what did you like about Reggie early on in the process? Well, he jumped off the field early on. You know, we were watching Santana Moss because he was a, a big name. And, you know, you, you, have to, you have to do your homework. It's not you can't say, well, we're drafting 24th or 5th or 6th and he won't get to us. You have to be ready. So, and, and he's also, if he's good enough, he's also a benchmark for everybody else at the position in the draft. Did you have the board ranked properly? So uh, we were watching Santana Moss, Dom and I together, and, 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 and we both said, you know, who's the other receiver? Right. That's Reggie Wayne. Holy Toledo. This is before we had numbers. And, and so... I, we went to a Miami game, or I went myself. I can't remember whether we went together or separately. And, and separately, because Dom went to the school. Dom made the school visit, and I went to a game. And, uh, and, and we both said, you know, you know what? Reggie Wayne's the better player. And, uh, yeah, you're right. And, and Dom being Dom said, don't say that too loud. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you know, and he was right. He was correct. <laughs> and what did you see? Can you compare the two for us in terms of skills uh, and other, say, intangibles? You know, why Reggie? Well, obviously, again, our friends in the uh, lovingly the, the DIC, the Drafts Industrial Complex, weren't gone that way. Uh, but you, you guys saw through that. What did you see? Well, we first of all, we didn't. I was talking to uh, somebody earlier in the week who said, asked me, you know, why is it that that you and the Patriots and certain other teams always kept things close to the vest and, and, and in essence were contrarian? And I said, because we did our own thing. We didn't listen to the outside stuff. We kept it closed up. We relied on our own people and our own people alone. We didn't care what some other team thought of a, of, of a player or, or what some guru thought. Uh, we used the guru board only as a measuring stick to tell us where a, a player might fall in, you know, in, in, other, play, in other people's eyes. Uh, you know, so it was easy to, to go through our process because it was our process. And um, as Bill Belichick said when he talked about the cut process, you know, it would take me all day to explain it to you. He was right. It would. And what he didn't say was, and you still wouldn't agree with it. So, <laughs> you know, the, 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 we, we blocked it all out. And uh, um, so we did our own thing. Now, both guys were fine uh, from an intangible standpoint. No, no, no problem there. They were both really good guys and good workers. Uh, Reggie was bigger. Um, he had better separation, even though Santana was a little bit quicker. Santana had the better numbers. Reggie had a real separation knack, a real uh, a real knack for running routes. He was a polished route runner, um, at, even in college. Uh, he had that that ability to control his body, and his hands were exquisite. I mean, they were really great. And we were big on hands. Again, I'm repeating things I've said before, but Tom Moore famously said, Tom Moore, our offensive coordinator, famously said when a we were discussing a receiver who didn't have great hands. He said in his, in his gravelly voice and gruff way, 
we got the most accurate quarterback in the history of football. Why would we want a guy who can't catch? The bottom line is that Reggie checked all the boxes and, uh, and, and a little shy. We wanted, you know, four, nine or below. So he's two one hundredths of a second slower than that. And looked a little bit. He looked slow on film. He he played faster than he looked on film, but um, you know we were fine with it. There was it, from the day that we began that Dom and I began to look at the film and compare the two. You know, less than two games in, we both looked at each other and said, "You know what, Reggie Wayne's the better player, at least for us." And Santana had a nice career. I mean, it wasn't a bad career. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He but he's not a Hall of Famer, obviously. No. So, so can you talk a little bit about like Reggie's work ethic? How did he prepare? Those kinds of things. Well, he came in and had the benefit of of Marvin already being there. He played, uh, I think, eight years beyond Marvin's retirement, when he really was the number one receiver. And we'll talk about that relative to Hall eligibility or selection. But he had the benefit of seeing Marvin and, and, and Peyton, and he jumped in with both feet. So they became uh, the three amigos and, uh, and worked constantly. And Reggie was smart enough um, to recognize that if he wanted to be a big producer, he was going to have to join that group anyway. But his normal inclination was to just work as hard as he possibly could work. And he did. And, and it's strange. You know, people think of wide receivers as divas, right? It was hard to get a sentence out of Marvin. And if he didn't want you to find him, even though he was in the building, you couldn't find him. <laughs> right. He could, you know, as someone said, he could, he, he could disappear in plain sight, you know? Yeah. Marvin was right here. You turn around. Where's Marvin? You know, oh, that's, that's actually a good quality for a wide receiver too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening? We've got some exciting news. Our pod is partnering with playactionpools.com this season to bring some interactive fun to the sports we love most. You'll be able to get in on the action with our playactionpools.com football pick'em challenge, which is open to everyone. Here's how it works. Sign up for our contest, Believe Football Pick'em. That's Believe, B-L-E-A-V, Football Pick'em at PlayActionPools.com. And then you get your picks in each week. You're going to select the 10 highest profile games of the week between NFL and college football. Whoever gets the most picks correct each week will win a pair of electric sunglasses and a pair of DC shoes. Again, go to PlayActionPools.com and sign up for the contest, Believe, B-L-E-A-V, football pick'em. And if you plan on hosting your own football contest, go to Play Action Pools today. They've got Survivor, Pick'em, as well as cool sports-style concepts called Build Your Bankroll. PlayActionPools.com, it's your new home for all your office sports pools. Check it out. But in but in thinking through his training a little bit, I mean, it's eye-opening when you look at sort of uh, games played and then uh, injuries. I mean, he was relatively from like 03 to 2011 about as healthy as you can be from a wide receiver. Definitely some injuries early on. Is there anything that changed for him in his physical preparation? Or was uh, no, I, I think I think he. I mean, he just he just matured and and learned how to take care of himself, uh, which which every every young player has to do. But he was a if you he was a plus work ethic. So he's going to do everything he had to do and more in the weight room, everything he had to do and more in, uh, in, in the way of nutrition, everything he had to do and more in terms of learning his position and working at his craft. So he was a Hall of Famer in every single respect. And then in addition to that, a great teammate. So, so in terms of leadership, this is something that probably I, I'm curious about, and it's it's maybe a little bit outside of the context of obviously when you were there, but I mean, that season he had in 2012, after the tough season with Peyton, you guys are gone. 
and he has an unbelievable year. I mean, 106 catches, 1,355 yards, definitely from an outsider fan perspective, seemed like the leader of the team in a lot of ways. Uh, can you talk a little bit about him as a leader, his leadership style, and kind of his influence on the team in that role? Well, I've been told um, by, by people who were there that he embraced the mantle of leadership because he was, along with Anthony, Anthony Costanzo, at, at the last link to the Peyton, Marvin, Edgerin, you know, group, Dallas, et cetera. And so it was his job to carry the tradition forward. Interestingly, they immediately transitioned from the offense that we had run to a power type offense, play action offense. And T.Y. was 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 there, but a raw rookie and a, and a little guy. So Reggie was the whole show. But again, when players like young players like T.Y. come in, when young players like Kelly come in, they're looking to the veterans who they watched on television playing with Peyton and playing with Marvin and playing with Edger. So. This is this is the, the this is the living link to that group, um, and so Reggie embraced that and said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna show these guys what it takes to be a champion," and uh, and he did, and had a, had a phenomenal year. Now he was the only receiver. Ty, as I said, was not not ready yet to step in and and and, and be the player that that he is now. Uh, but you know, Reggie was the man and, and he stepped up and, and did it. You know, but it says a lot about him, you know, uh, from a character standpoint, from an intellect standpoint, you know, that he made this perception that he was the connection to that previous era of glory. I mean, that's, not everybody would have done that. You could have, you could have easily just, you know, skirted by and he would have gotten a lot of targets, but you know, it goes back to the guy you drafted and it says a lot about him that he, you know, that he stepped up in that way to me. Yeah. I, you know, I, I Reggie never got the acclaim that he deserved uh, just because Marvin was so spectacular. Um. And, but Peyton trusted him implicitly. And interestingly enough, in, in, in Super Bowl 41, it's Reggie who breaks the game open, you know, with the, with the, the first touchdown, turns the tide, and, and had a big night, um, as did Dominic Rhodes. Um, but I think that when Reggie took a look at Andrew, he said, okay. Uh, I'm going to play some more. I'm going to play longer than the next couple of years. And I'm going to play with a guy who has a chance to be as good as number 18. So let me get with this guy and teach him what I know about the passing game and what I know about what we, what we did in the context of a, of, of a brand new offense. Um, which didn't protect him as well, unfortunately, and 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 didn't really made a lot of bad personnel judgments on the offensive line and so forth. But the he he took Andrew under his wing, if you will, and said, "Okay, here, I'm your guy. Let's go." And uh, and I helped Andrew great. Right. So how this is something I've always wanted to know about a guy like Reggie is what type of guy was he? Was he because obviously not a guy that was totally in the limelight, not a ton of notoriety. And I say this in the context of this. So when I was doing statistical analysis this week and prepping for the show. If you look at his core eight year career, kind of from like, oh, four to uh, like 11. 
right? So you you just kind of run it 04 to 11. His stats are shockingly comparable to Megatron's, but mm-hmm. he also has unbelievable season. He had an unbelievable season in 12 that Johnson mm-hmm. didn't have that if, and he did this, a lot of it playing with Marvin Harrison. So had he been more of a self-promoter type of play? I, I think the argument for him is just from a stupid fan perspective is far more compelling than Calvin's. Uh, I, I think you're right. Um, the, the voters held against him. Some voters held against him that he, that he played with, with Marvel. They took the position that, well, he got single coverage all the time because Marvin got the double coverage. Now that's first of all, it's both wrong and, and sophomoric, you know, anything about coverage, that, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, but, you know, the voters are different cats. They look at the game differently than football people do. That, that, that point of view, uh, I think, was blunted pretty well by Tony, who made the point that what Reggie earned, he earned on his own. It had nothing to, you know, Marvin was on the other side, but you don't put the kind of numbers Reggie put up uh, without, you know, being a great receiver, number one. And number two, for eight years of his career, Marvin wasn't there. He he was the man. And and the 12th year, there was nobody there, really. So T.Y. was a a raw rookie. So um, I think that argument was dismissed. Um, Someone else made an argument that, in one game in the playoffs, uh, Revis shut him down. Uh, I don't know that to be true because I haven't looked at the film. I will later on this fall. Uh, but then I went and looked up the playoff statistics, and that one game is clearly, clearly an anomaly because he ranks way, way up there in, in all the statistics in, play, in the playoffs. Um, interestingly, I think what you're getting at is what kind of a personality uh, was he? Um, if you're not a Yankee fan, well, even if you are, if you're a Yankee hater during the Yankees modern Jeter, Joe Torre, hey day, right? Reggie was Andy Pettit. Okay, Mr. Wow. Clutch. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he's there every day. Hey, Reg, how you doing? Good, Bill. How are you? Anything you need? No. Um, right. Reggie's got a charity banquet this week, uh, Sunday night after a game, everybody's going yeah. because they have respect for him. Not because they, they think they need to, because he's one of the most respected and popular guys on the team. When his brother, unfortunately passed away, um, there was no question, but, um, Mr. Ursay was going to, you know, made the plane available. And everybody, including even the head coach, went to the funeral, even though it was in season. Uh, he was he was one of the most respected people in the building by everybody, and every, every everybody liked him. You know, speaking of uh, you going back to film, you know, the film to watch that one Revis game uh, when those um, media guys say, "Oh, he was he was got the single coverage." I can guarantee you they have not watched film to justify that. That's just the, the myth that's propagated and they just buy into it. Yeah. And frankly, there's a lot of myth that, that flies around that room. There is. Cause Reggie Wayne seems to me to be the ultimate example in a blind test. If you take the name off the statistics and everything else away and you just look at it, there's no reason he shouldn't have gotten in this year in my mind. That's correct. The reason he didn't was because Tory Holt split some of the vote. And there were some people, there were some people who feel like, uh, you know, somebody wrote, not, a, not a, a voter, somebody who sent an email to all of the selectors, a fan, I guess, said, I'm paraphrasing now, enough of these number two receivers. They don't belong in the Hall of Fame. Well, excuse me, 
for eight years of his career, which is the same amount of time that Megatron played. Reggie was the number one receiver. Marvin wasn't there. Torrey Holt and Henry and, and Isaac Bruce were together. So if you want to make that argument for Torrey Holt, it's probably legitimate. It's not for Reggie Wayne. Um, but that's out there in the ether. That's out there in the ether. So it, it, it was a, you know, a harder test than I thought it should have been. But it's on me and, and others to, you know, to come up with the information to, to make that work, you know, to, to, to tell the real story. And, and look, Marvin was Marvin. There's no question about it. But it's also unfair because if Reggie was there as a threat on the other side, that also made things easier for Marvin. I mean, it's reciprocal. You can't just have it be one way. That's ridiculous. It's like saying Yogi Barra can't be in the Hall of Fame because he played with Mickey Mantle. Well, that's exactly right. Uh, in, in response to the person who said that, that Rivas shut him out in this, this one particular game, playoff game, I said, well, you know, Mickey Bob Feller struck out Mickey Mantle a few times. I mean, what, what does that mean? Yeah, right. yeah. But I mean, if you look at the collective and individual playoff stats, he opened up the Super Bowl for you guys, was dominant in that playoff run. And if right. you look at the career playoff statistics, it's 93 receptions, 1,200 yards, nine touchdowns. It's by all accounts, it's an amazing season for an individual player who has arguably some of the greatest stats to ever play. It's just this one for me, it's just dumb. Well, you know, it's up it's up to myself and others to make that argument just to put the playoff statistics in context. Um, Reggie has 93 playoff receptions, third of all time. Yeah. Uh, 1,254 receiving yards, sixth all time. Nine TDs, ninth all time. And 67 first down receptions in in the playoffs fifth of all time now the first down receptions are an interesting are an interesting statistic because when marvin got double coverage and we needed seven eight yards sometimes nine yards for a first down and had to throw the ball the ball more often than not far more often than not was going to reggie Number one, because he could be, he could get open. And number two, because he was always going to catch the ball. And number three, because he knew exactly what route to run to get the first down. Mr. Clutch, that's what I, you know, Andy Pettit, hand him the ball every four days. You know what's going to happen. Yep. Mr. Reliable. It just seems like every generation we do this. To me, this is like Art Monk revisited, right? Maybe yeah. a little bit. Yeah, that's like, right. What are we talking about? He's got the most catches ever to play in the league, and we're not going to put him in the Hall of Famer. Like, what? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So uh, I think we've established this is a Hall of Famer, but when does he get in? Do you think he gets in this year? Well, I certainly hope so. Um, you know, if you draw a comparison between he and Holt, um, and, and I went right back and did this, there is no comparison. But you can make an argument for Smith and you can make an argument for Anquan Bolden and you can make an argument for Andre Johnson. But if you look at Reggie compared to all those guys, well, let's, let's just take it compared to Holt, um, who, who had a shorter career, 11 years versus 14 for Reggie. Um, but still, you know, that's enough. I don't think that makes a heck of a lot of difference. Reggie has 14,345 yards, 10th of all time. He's the only Hall of the person who's not in the Hall of Fame in the top 10. So you could stop right there and say, right. okay, done. Um, he has 1,070 receptions, 10th of all time. He's the only guy in the top 10 who isn't in. Right. Right. 82 TDs, 25th of all time. His average per catch was 13.4 yards per catch. We know that the magic number is 12. Yeah. So he's anybody who's more than 12 yards a catch is is, is having a significant in, in, in you know significant uh, 
uh, input on the game. He's making, he's averaging a chump play every time he yeah. touches the ball. Torrey Holt, on the other hand, 1,300 and 382 yards. So he, he's, he's below the Reggie by a significant number. His supporters argued that, that that's the difference between 11 years and whatever, 14. So, okay. Um, he's 16th of all time. So there are people in front of him. 920 receptions, 21st of all time, not 10th. There's a huge difference there that, that isn't accounted for by, uh, by uh, uh, longevity. And, and someone during the discussions mentioned, well, you know, um, he was, he, he had to be the target because everybody doubled Bruce. And I said, well, who, who was playing next to Reggie for those years? You argue that Reggie shouldn't get in because he played next to Marvin. Why should this guy get in when he played more years next to Isaac Bruce? Right. Yeah. So, you know, and Isaac Bruce, by the way, absolutely a Hall of Famer, no question. So, um, and then 74 TDs, 38th of all time versus 82 for Reggie. So he's clearly better in every statistical measurement, which you use for wide receivers because it's so obvious. Um both played with good quarterbacks, Hall of Fame quarterbacks, by the way. Um, both played in up-tempo, uh, you know, pass-centric offenses. So it's it's a really you can make a good comparison there, and uh, um, and, and both both played in 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 two Super Bowls and winning one. So there you go. I mean, on its face. There's no argument. Now, when you put, when you put, and now I didn't do uh, Tory Holt's playoff statistics. I have to do that. Uh, uh, that'll be part of my presentation, obviously. But if you add Steve Smith under this very same criteria, um, 15 years, a year, a year longer than Reggie, 14,731 uh, receiving yards, uh, eighth of all time. So, ahead of Reggie there slightly, uh, 1,031 um, catches, 12th of all time, 14.2 average, which is, you know, 0.8 ahead. So they're, they're, they're very comparable. TD's 81, uh, very comparable, 28th of all time. And nine playoff TD's the same as Reggie. So this is, a, this is a, an even more... Um, a closer comparison between then then Tory Holt kind of fades from the picture when you look at yeah. Steve Smith. Yeah, Steve Smith, yeah. Now the thing Steve Smith didn't do, um I I don't know how many Super Bowls and I don't know what his playoff statistics were. So that may be the determining factor. I I've, I've yet to do that. Well and um, and Steve Smith had that in the in the Super Bowl run in the Jake DeLome year, had that sort of jump off the screen. Yep. few playoff games that yeah. maybe Reggie didn't have just in terms of fan memory, but just blindly looking at the stats, the Reggie thing seems just not comparable. Yeah, and Steve Smith was a bit more spectacular than Reggie. Yeah, but that shouldn't count. Right, it did for Megatron, by the way. Yeah. but it but it it really shouldn't count. And, and a bigger a bigger media guy and more outgoing and bombastic yeah, yeah. and everything oh, like that. Yeah. you know, which which the press the press buys into that stuff. And anybody who can make Michael Irvin stop talking on television just out of sheer fear uh, is certainly <laughs> a pretty good TV guy. Oh, listen, nobody, no one here is going to make the case against Steve Smith. No, but I think this they both have to get. The good news is this year this seems like. In some ways, this could be a little bit of a right the wrong year. Yeah, Steve Smith's probably the only real first time uh, ballot guy that gets in, and then we can write a couple wrongs with some guys that should get in. Well, you know, if if you you can look at it a number of different ways, you can say Steve Smith and Reggie Wayne are identical; they're both deserving. Put them in. Steve. Uh, now there'll be people who say Steve Smith's not a first ballot guy. The only first ballot guys should be Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and people like that. That's kind of old school, grouchy old guy thinking. But I, I wouldn't argue with that. 
but Steve Smith's better than Torrey Holt. I mean, that's the bottom line. Simple as that. And Reggie Wayne's slightly better than both. Way better than Torrey Holt, statistically. But, you know, slightly better than Steve Smith. And a different guy. Not that that's, I mean, that that's that shouldn't count for anything, really. Exactly. Steve's personality, totally different than Reggie's, but so what? Right. But their, their personalities, along with their talents, got them to where they were. But, you know, we can do it more than one way. Yeah, well... Don't ever no. confuse personality with character. Exactly. And then, and then, you know, Bolden is considerably below uh, both of those guys in the in the stats, uh, except for TDs. He has eighty two. He was a, a very good red zone guy because he couldn't run, but he was big and strong. But he's only twelve point eight yards um, mm-hmm. per reception. And Andre Johnson is. is um, you know, he's a consideration. He's more than 14,000 yards, uh, but only 70 TDs, 46th on the TD list, and 13.3. So he's comparable to Reggie, but, um, you know, you got to take into account Colts versus Houston Texans, and 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 the victory ledger is lopsided. Right. Now, this definitely seems like this could be the year where we get a couple of these guys in, a little bit of a cleanup year. And uh, hopefully all goes right with the world. Well, Bill, no pressure. You got to make the case, not just our fans, but the real case. But, hey, we've got some fun audibles that as we. Wait a minute. I just want to say I got a campaign slogan for Reggie from Spike Lee. Guys, do the right thing. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There you go. All right, here we go. couple audibles uh, wrapping up the show today. So our first audible comes from uh, Gabriel. He's at Eden Barrios on Twitter. He said, Bill says, you never are one player away. My question is, the Washington football team seems to be a quarterback away from challenging, at least be competitive in the next two to three years. Are they one player away? No, no, because... Football is a game that is so team-oriented and so specialized within the context of the team that even though the quarterback is the driving force of the offense, even if you have a great quarterback and the other parts of your team are not functioning, witness New England two years ago in Brady's last year there. Um and witnessed Tampa Bay this past year when they win the Super Bowl, where Brady plays an outsized public role and an outsized leadership role, but isn't the defining force. He's not the the deciding force in the biggest game. It's the defense. Um, Even if you have that guy, you still need other guys. And because of free agency, everything turns over every year. You're turning 40% of your team over. So my answer would be there are a lot of things that have to go right in order for the Washington football team to go all the way or go deep in the playoffs. And quarterback is, is clearly the most important one but not the only one. Well, I'm going right. to say we're not one player away because we're going to do it this year. <laughs> <laughs> little little tease for next week's preview. Show. All right. So, uh, all right. So, so our other audible, and uh, because he includes the accent over to his uh, the I and his first name, I'm going to give this the French pronunciation. The this comes from Coach Benoit Duin. And Coach Benoit says, question, why isn't Roger Craig in the Hall of Fame? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Yes, he may not have hit the quote unquote thresholds as far as rushing yards, but he revolutionized the running back position by being a threat as a pass catcher. And teams had to game plan around that. Appreciate your comments, Bill. Well, uh, he doesn't hit the, the metrics as a ball carrier. That's correct. Uh, he was a uh, very, very instrumental player 
because what Bill did was to um, uh, what Bill did was take the short pass, the check down, if you will, and, and, and scheme it in different ways to turn it into what amounted to a, a five-yard running play um, with the pass. And um, and Roger Craig was a very instrumental in doing that. But it's tough to look at him in the context of other people, other halfbacks or, or running backs, because when you're talking about rushing yards. He was, he had 8,100 rushing yards. So here, Bill, I can give you the stat line. So way, I got it right here. He's oh, okay. way down the line. He's way down the line. Go ahead. You, you fire it up. All right, so here we go. So his career stats, he played in 165 games. He had 8,100 rushing yards on 1,900 attempts for a 4.1 average. He had 56 rushing touchdowns. I think uh, what the coach is getting at here is the receiving yards. So he had 566 receptions for 4,911 receiving yards, uh, averaged 8.7 yards a catch, and had 17 touchdowns as a receiver. Uh, so his total touchdowns were 73. His total scrimmage yards were 13,100. Um, if you look at it that way, he has a good case. But, um, you know, the, 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 the voters, I don't think, look at it necessarily that way. They view the receiving yards as kind of schemed yards, if you will. Um, and if you look at him, he, he doesn't measure up solely as a receiver and doesn't measure up solely as a running back. And it's hard for people to meld the two. And he's now in a position where, you know, his contributions and his team are, are a distant memory and, and, and maybe not even a distant memory for a lot of the voters. So, um, it's 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 a hard case. It's a hard case, and people like Fred Taylor, who, who may not make it, are are presumed to have a better case because their rushing yards are are, are better. So, it, it's he's a, a little bit in no man's land. Very, you know, deserving when you yeah. look at it all. Oh yeah, but but a, but a bit in no man's land. Yeah, I mean, ter- I mean, terrific uh, football player, huge contribution to the success of his team. And a beast in 1988. I mean, his 88 season with 1,500 rushing yards, 386 receiving yards. So that was a big boy year. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, as always, that is our show for this week. If you have questions you want us to cover in the Audible, hit us up on Twitter at IF, IF Bill Polian. I got to say, we I did our fantasy draft and dynasty owner this week. I got to thank Tim and the guys. It was super fun. Great platform. If you're looking for a fantasy league, check them out. It is truly a lot of fun. I use a lot of Bill's recommendations and whispers in my ear through the podcast to, to put the team together. So, uh, And you speed under the cap. I did. We were the lowest under the cap for a long time. And then I got a little, I got a little crazy at the end. All right, right, guys. Well, thank you. Let me know if uh, there's anything you want us to cover in the audible and we'll be sure to hit it. Have a good week guys. All right. Okay. Thank you. Have fun. Stay safe, everybody. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.